have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site. Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, your home for all things fundraising and nonprofit leadership. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I've got a favor to ask. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate the show and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact in the world. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Olson. I'm here with Olga Waltman. Olga, how are you today? Hey, Andrew. Great. Hey, it's good to see you. So uh, for our listeners, um, Olga is the founder of Lemon Skies, which is a nonprofit strategy uh, and creative consulting firm. She's a contributing editor to the Nonprofit Times. She's on the handful of nonprofit and industry boards. I kind of feel like I see you everywhere in the sector. Um, you're an avid runner. In fact, I think you ran today before this, this mm -hmm. conversation. Uh, you're the mom of a, a couple of teenagers. Yeah. Uh, you're an international traveler, a deep thinker. You're just all over the place doing a bunch of stuff that's, I think, really interesting. Um, and I'm thrilled that we're going to talk about the intersection of comms and fundraising today. Um, I know I just gave a, a bullet list bio for you, but take a, take a minute and tell uh, our listeners a little bit more about what I maybe haven't shared about you. No, I think you, you've you covered it. Uh, my entire professional journey has been in nonprofit or nonprofit adjacent. So uh, I definitely have, uh, I have healthy appreciation for data, uh, but my affinity is definitely with messaging and kind of the creative aspect, branding, positioning, uh, and messaging strategy. So um, Lemon Skies is nearly five years old. So toddlerhood. Nice. So it's kind of exciting. Um, and yes, involved in Special Olympics Virginia board, uh, a local organization called Braz, uh, teenagers that if you hear them on recording home from school today. So, so yes, and lots of sports in our household. We have a locker room here. Yes, I, I, I see the pictures and, and get the notes about them. It looks like you're always on the move. Um, all right, let's, let's jump into this. So one of the things that I'm interested to get your perspective on, I often hear um, a lot of conversation from organizations about the, the big disconnect that that is perceived between like communications and fundraising teams in organizations do you first of all do you agree that's an issue and, and if so what do you think's behind that yes yeah, so wholeheartedly i think there is uh an inherent um conflict in terms of what we want to communicate um so before we get into kind of more organizational and structural topics when you're communications and marketing you want to highlight all the wonderful things when you're fundraising, you really need to talk about the need and things that are yet to be done. So I think that in and of itself uh, creates a little bit of a rift or differences in, persp in perspective. Uh, but I think, you know, I've seen organizations that bring the two together, separate the two. But I think it's sort of um, structural piece where, you know, one person is um, held to certain goals and, you know, when you're on communications and marketing side, and I've done I've done both, um, it's less so. So I think it's just aligning structure and goals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I I'm often say to folks, um, you know, unless you have revenue accountability, you really shouldn't get a vote on my fundraising messaging, right? 
Um, and so I think that that's often kind of the the challenge because we do give comms leaders and, and folks in that, in that arena, a lot of latitude to, to talk about all the wonderful stuff that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems to me that so often there's this like real resistance to anything coming out of an organization that might make it seem like we don't have all of our stuff together, that we're not the experts, that we need anybody else. How do we like functionally, how do you help organizations thread that needle so that you can have both, you know, sort of a positive outward mm-hmm. image, but also make sure that you keep the revenue coming in? Like what, what, what are the key things around that? Yeah, I think there's room for both. Um, and I think it starts with uh, who's at the helms of the different entities. Anytime you have silos, uh, that does not serve anybody. So just really having a team in place uh, that uh, really has collaboration as a built-in feature, uh, whether you're fundraising or marketing communication, just having that uh, is a very seamless, uh, very collaborative relationship. And I think, you know, as somebody who has a uh, deep background in fundraising, whenever I'm on the communication side of the house, um, I definitely have that healthy respect for it and empathy for end of year giving and empathy for, uh, for goals and metrics that you're held to. And I think I bring that same measurable accountability into marketing and communication space because, you know, awareness means absolutely nothing unless you can measure it. Awareness mm-hmm. is not for the sake of it. It's always you have to ask yourself the question, to what end? Is it raising awareness? Is it um, activating people? Is it raising money? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you've been on both sides of this, and I'm sure you've worked with a lot of people on both sides. Are there are there big differences between the kind of people who really excel in a comms mm-hmm. role versus those who really excel in a fundraising role? That's a, that's such a good question. Um, I think, you know, fundamentally, I, I think an accountable, industrious person who is not afraid to set the bar high for themselves will succeed in either space. Um, so in terms of are there differences in who's successful, I would say no. Um, I, I do think there's a little more leaning it has to be, especially if it's direct response type of fundraising, uh, you certainly have to be a little bit more analytically inclined uh, than true communications and marketing. Sure. Uh, but I think communications and marketing also attracts um, a little bit more, dare I say, lofty thinkers. Um, okay. So, and, you know, so I think a little bit of exposure and a little bit of uh, fundraising accountability probably brings you a long way to to seeing perspectives. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I've heard mostly from fundraisers, but I bet it's true for for comms teams as well, is, is a, a frustration around you know organizational leadership sort of throwing goals at them without mm-hmm. them having a seat at the table for the conversation about like how we got to those goals, right? So I hear this from fundraisers all the time, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, my organization said that we need to raise an extra three million dollars this year. There's no rhyme or reason to how we're going to get there. They just told me I have to add it to the budget. And I, I wonder uh, what your thinking is on this, like particularly with respect to both of those groups, how, how can we help leaders understand just how important it is to have those communicators and those fundraisers like deeply embedded in all of the strategic mm-hmm. thinking of the organization? What, what have you tried before? So I think it starts with, as a leader, you want people to get to the finish line. And, you know, I'm going to use running analogies here. So having somebody who's really bought into it and committed to the process and committed to getting there, 
uh, is definitely a strategy in and of itself. Like we talk about techniques, we talk about messaging, we talk about data and innovations, but really you have to think about the human who is driving the process, right? Regardless of what tools, techniques you're using. Um, so getting that human to buy into your vision um, and usually, well, sometimes the numbers are subjective, but uh, but usually there's a reason behind them. So is it programmatic reason? Is it certain uh, metric that the organization is trying to hit? So the more you bring people in early on, the more willingly they will follow and even start leading in that direction. So I think it's just, it's not even a best practice. I think it's just common sense. Uh, yeah. If you want people empowered and motivated you bring them in. No one likes to have a goal dropped in front of them without understanding and, you know, kind of helping shape it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, so you mentioned technique for a second. I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction mm -hmm. uh, for both comms teams and mm -hmm. fundraising teams. You know, I, I think over the next couple of years, there's going to be some really significant shifts related to AI, mm -hmm. to how we're using data to how we're using technology. What do you see on the horizon and what kind of guidance would you give to, to those two groups? So, I mean, I love the, I love AI, I love innovation, all kind of the new shiny things that can do uh, pretty powerful things. Um, I think it's a very measured approach, uh, but not sitting on the sidelines and waiting. Um, for example, I brought together a cross-functional team to just really start talking about um, all the good things and the bad things there can be and how do you employ it uh, but I think it's um, it's threading that needle. No, AI is not going to replace us, uh, but person using it and leveraging its capabilities certainly will. Um, and I think, you know, content messaging and some of those aspects that I really focus on, um, you know, AI does not write better copy. Uh, you know, if you there's certain trigger words you will see pretty frequently uh, that that are a dead giveaway. Um so I think it's really just using it as a tool and not as a solution. I think that's that's where I see the key. But, you know, Google 20 something years ago, um, well, you shouldn't do research on Google. You should go to the library and go through <laughs> uh, through books and highlighter and, you know, take lots of notes. And we wouldn't dream of doing that today. So I really see um, a lot of these technology headed in that same direction. So it's just really always learning and always being curious about what's new just because you learn doesn't mean you're automatically rolling it out and some of it may you know peter out some of the you know certain functionalities may not pan out uh but the more you know the more you're able to do yeah do you do you see like in the future do, do you think that we're going to get to a place where there is a a specific sort of ai enablement role in organizations or is it in your mind is it more of like everybody just needs to know how to use it I think it's the latter, partially because I just don't, you know, there's a lot of roles that should be, you know, like segmentation and those types of roles that should be individual roles, but it usually is just like a teeny tiny portion of somebody's job. Sure. So I don't see organizations necessarily dedicating uh, time and resources to that. Uh, but I think I'm hearing more about how to write prompts and how to use tools. So I'm seeing more and more of that. Okay. But I'm not sure that that unique skill, like the skill in and of itself without understanding kind of the bigger strategy, I'm not sure that gets you as far. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the other things you and I were talking about this off camera before we started in is, is you know, with fundraising results kind of being in decline for the last mm -hmm. couple of years, we're seeing continued slides. 
one of the things I hear a lot of these days is organizations saying with, you know, because of that, we think we really need to kind of double down on brand mm -hmm. and we believe that we can use that to drive more meaningful improvements in, in fundraising results. What's your take on that? Oh, brand. I think brand is one of the most misused words in not just nonprofit, but in marketing um, yeah. in general. Um, so brand, it's not about the visual identity lift. It's not about making your font super consistent. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. It's about the essence, the brand promise and values uh, of the organization and what it's doing. So brand is great, but brands are not created overnight. Either you infuse a whole lot of capital to to really kind of make that impression and make your brand memorable, uh, or it's built over decades. And if you think about some of the most recognizable brands uh, in our industry, I mean, they've been around for several decades. Um, yeah, or, or centuries. Yeah. Centuries. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's just misguided to think of it as a silver bullet. That said, many brands do need help and do need a facelift. Uh, but it's really sort of starting with the why. If you're going to go the rebranding route, what are you trying to achieve? Is it uh, realigning your brand to your current organization? Um, it's certainly not about making it prettier, right? So when it comes to brand, it's not a question of opinion or aesthetics. Uh, it's a question of what lays behind it uh, before designer ever sets to work. So I don't know if yeah. I'm answering that question. No, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things I remember uh, an old colleague said to me once, he said, if you don't do the brand work internally first, no amount of money you spend on pushing brand out externally is going to really be worth anything. So I also wonder, like, you know, oftentimes when organizations get into this uh, trap, I think, you mm -hmm. know, where they're saying, well, wait, we're going to we're going to spend money on brand to to build awareness to, so that, you know, everybody knows about us. And if everybody gives us a dollar, we'll be billionaires. Right. Yeah. Um, and which is a whole different problem, but um, you know, they don't spend the time to actually cast that vision internally and to get everyone ar aligned around culture, mm -hmm. and then roll it out. Um, do you think that that's like, like, I, I don't think that it's an intentional issue. Um, but I just wonder because it happens so frequently, what, what do you think's behind that? So I think brand is one of those things that's misunderstood, overused, uh, but I think there's a certain um, mystique around it, almost like glamour. Well, we're going to get us a fancy firm and they will solve all our problems. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You don't have to be uh, a brand expert, but what you need to be is uh, expert on your mission and your organization where, where it is headed. So if you don't ask the right question, you can't be disappointed with the answer you receive. So I think it's kind of setting out direction. It's like anything. You need to know your destination um, and then pull in help along the way. Yeah, makes sense. So kind of going back to the core area we started in on this, you know, comms versus fundraising uh, discussion. One of the things that, that we often see as a friction point in organizations is um, it's actually two different uh, platforms, right? We, we see a lot of disagreement around who owns the website in the organization mm -hmm. and what's its purpose. And we see similar uh, discussion around whether it's print or email, the organization's newsletter, right? Mm -hmm. Where where one group says, well, wait a minute, no, this is about you know telling those great stories. And the other, no, this is about presenting that call to action and that need. Um, how do you advise uh, the clients that you serve and the organizations that you counsel on a volunteer basis? Like, 
to how, how do you get them to think about that and where are the points of commonality and where where do you just say like no it absolutely has to be this well i think the word ownership in and of itself is a little bit flawed oh, okay right so yeah. i think website is sort of your your front window of your organization so it serves many purposes um so somebody who's seeking services versus prospective donor uh will play a very different role um i think there's a little bit of delusion of well we we built this amazing website but how are you driving people to your website? And more importantly, why are they there? So I think that's uh, that's something to really consider. The same thing with the newsletter, yeah, but it's, it, it's a constant dialogue. I don't believe that you ever arrive at a point of, we solve this and we have a perfect system uh, because you're constantly changing and evolving. And it also depends, certain time of year, you know, come December, yeah, development pretty much owns it, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, you still need to keep services and information for constituents who support accessible, but uh, that takes priority and that takes precedence. So I think it's just being flexible and nimble and partnering up and not um, like we don't own any of what we do. Everything we do serves a purpose. And if it doesn't, um, I think it's just a um, misguided way to look at it. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so if you're counseling a like a executive director who is having trouble bringing alignment between those two teams, what are the two or three, you know, kind of not quick wins necessarily, but the, the most important things you would say to, to her about like, how do you bring that alignment most effectively? Yeah, I think it's understanding what's behind it because we're seldom just obstinate for no reason. Right. So there's always something preventing it. Is it fear? Is it security? Is it uh, personal, um, so it's just really understanding the humans that are driving your different areas. Uh, why aren't they being collaborative? And is it something that's motivating them um, or do they simply not have that expectation? So it starts definitely uh, from leadership on down. Um, I think if you're in the process of, and it's hard to make organizational decisions always in such a way, but chemistry between the people who are leading the two entities is really important. It doesn't mean that they have to be best friends. It doesn't mean that they have to be alike, uh, but they have to get along and they have to collaborate and you have they have to see themselves as a unit. Uh, it doesn't matter where who's approving your time card or you know who's doing your annual review. Ultimately, you need to see uh, your responsibilities um, and your success your mutual success needs to be aligned. So I think that's where it starts. And I keep coming back more and more. Um, everything is about people. Donors are people. So the context we give them, uh, they're not in a vacuum. They're, you know, they're seeing cultural references and they're watching shows and they're traveling and they have interests. Uh, so they're people and staff is very much the same. Uh, they're humans. They're showing up at work and, you know, their emotions and their thinking and their, um, different considerations that come to them uh, certainly come into play. So I think that's really important. And then structurally putting some of those goals and metrics in alignment with each other and just really focusing everybody on on goals and output. Like it can be personal. It cannot be about, you know, well, it's my way versus your way. It's right. aligning our success towards why we're here. Why are we doing what we're doing? And presumably it's to support the mission. Yeah. So do you um, do you advocate for like, uh, sort of a, a matrixed approach to goals where where there's actually sort of shared, not just shared accountability, but shared benefit, uh, you know, as, as goals are reached? Uh, 
You know, I think it depends. Um, I think go for every goal that I've ever seen, uh, there's always sort of a way around it. Um, so I think sometimes that certainly helps if you're motivated by goal, but I think it's building that buy-in first and foremost. Yeah. So even if that specific metric is not on my um, on my goals and objectives, ultimately, if I'm communications and we don't make our revenue goals, it impacts the well-being of my team. It impacts uh, uh, financial health of organizations. So it's really just every everyone is a fundraiser and everyone is a marketer. Um, I don't care where you sit within the organization. So it's building that uh, cohesion. Um, and, you know, it, it's having some healthy empathy for each other. Fundraising can be extremely, extremely stressful uh, because you have those, you know, you, you're sort of, on, it's on your shoulders whether or not your organization is doing uh, well financially. And, you know, it, it behooves people to kind of pause and understand that uh, their annual raises uh, are certainly dependent on how well the fundraising does. Sure. Yeah, that makes, I like that a lot. Um, okay. I think uh, this is my last question on this topic. And then I might have one or two more for you on something yeah. else. Um, if, if you were, you know, talking to a comms and a fundraising team today, uh, what are the two or three things that you'd say to them, you know, Hey, to be successful in the coming year, you really ought to be thinking about this or that. Like what, what do you see on the horizon that they need to be paying attention to? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's innovation, keeping a night, getting the basics right while keeping an eye towards innovations and sort of straddling that space because you don't want to be chasing all the shiny things and ignoring kind of the really fundamental basics and um but you also don't want to stagnate so i think that and collaboration and just really kind of erasing the the structural thinking of your teams as more of an ecosystem and not hierarchical but where you communicate with the people you need to communicate with. It's not uh, it's not sort of a, a process-oriented uh, hierarchical structure. And just really focusing on your people, uh, trusting them, empowering them, motivating them, supporting them. Um, and, you know, sometimes um, knowing when to count your losses because, you know, one bad apple definitely does spoil the bunch. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Last question for you. And this is more of sort of industry-wide. I'm sure, like I have, you've probably seen... 30 different uh, articles, emails, online posts about 2024 fundraising predictions. If you've gone through some of those, what do you think is realistic? What do you think is just sort of like, you know, clickbait? Where, where do you think we're going to land at the end of this year? Yeah, I mean, everybody likes to predict. Uh, it's kind of like uh, weather forecasting, right? Like you, that's the right. only field where you can be blatantly wrong and no one will fault you for it. Right. Um, I don't think it's a single path for every organization. I think organizations that have done it right to uh, to shore up their people and to build relationships and to really kind of um, continue reminding people why they're there. Uh, I think those will be successful. Um, I think the organizations that are running on autopilot, I hate to say it, uh, those are the ones that will struggle. Um, I think you're the one that told me it's going to be the year of um, uh, retention. It's not, it's not about acquisition, yeah. it's about retaining. Yeah. So it's sort of like once you get them in the door, what happens to them next? And organizations that are understanding their supporters, constituents, donors' needs, um, what they need to hear about and what matters to them, 
I think I think those will be very successful. Um, I do think also for organizations, it largely depends on how your funding is structured because you know we're seeing those increases in donor advised funds, and you know there's some mega gifts they're sort of stirring up the pot a little bit, um, you know, foundational gifts. So I think it's, it's, I'm not sure there will be any single point of alignment for every entity. Uh, but I do believe that uh, we're definitely continuing to spiral towards more and more uh, deepening of relationships and not uh, kind of the broader base. It's not trying to be all things to all people. Yeah, hundred percent. So my my big takeaways from this conversation are focus on your people. It's about the people, and the importance of relationship. I I love that. I think that's it's solid. All very people centric. Yeah, yeah. It's always great to talk to you, Olga. Thanks for coming on the show this morning. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Hey, wait a minute. One more thing. Oh sure. How do people get in touch with you? Oh, um, you know, you can go to my website. It's lemon skies.com or uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, just look up Olga Waltman. And yeah, that's probably the best. Awesome. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again for joining us today for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review so we can get our message out to more nonprofit leaders. And as always, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or at Andrew at andrewolson.net. Be well, friends. It can be costly and time-consuming for nonprofits to fill vacancies. My colleagues at Dickerson Baker's executive search team can help. Serving nonprofits is not just part of what we do, it's all we do. The Dickerson Baker executive search team has the knowledge, expertise, relationships, and access to networks that are vital for recruiting exceptional talent. And not just that, we actually guarantee our placements for a full two years, which is much longer than anyone else in the nonprofit recruitment industry. Are you ready to find exceptional talent? Schedule a no-cost, no-obligation consultation at dickersonbaker.com.